You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Howdy folks, and welcome to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and all stops in between. I'm Alan, and it's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Keith Johnson. Greetings, all. And sadly, Charles and Veronica are unable to be with us tonight. Some lame excuse about watching a fiddler on some roof somewhere. (laughs) But we're very pleased to be joined by a very special guest, one of the co-hosts of the StarPod Trek podcast, Kavura. How are you? I'm great. Great to be here. It's so nice to have you with us. Um, Do us a favor and introduce yourself to our listeners. Kind of tell us, you know... A little bit about yourself, how you got into Star Trek originally, what it is that you currently do in Star Trek fandom. Okay, sure. Um, so I started watching Star Trek when I was very young. I mean, I well, basically all my life, really. I've always loved the show. I started with the original series. I'm that old. Uh, it was in the <laughs> seven, <laughs> yeah, the seventies, and. Um, and I'm from a small town in South Georgia, and I was just about the only one I knew who watched Star Trek. Um, I had an older brother who liked it, so it, it was really just the two of us. Um, and I and I like all the Star Trek shows. When TNG came on, I thought it was great, loved it, and I, you know, all the shows after that. I've always watched it, and I started going to to cons and really meeting other Star Trek fans in 1989, and so I've been involved in clubs and fandom since then and um my husband and i have a podcast as you mentioned star pod trek where we talk about all things star trek and we are also in several star trek clubs starfleet international starfleet command and the klingon assault group and we also have our own star trek meetup we are on uh tennessee star trek fans meetup group on meetup.com where we meet in person and we have um, Star Trek viewings and do other things, go to movies and have great social gatherings. And we uh, go to a lot of cons and do panel discussions at cons. And we also are on Facebook under um, Tennessee Star Trek fans, our Facebook group. (laughs) And we have, and of course our podcast also has a Facebook group, StarPod Log and StarPod Trek. So we do all of those things. And of course, we know Richard or Alan, too. <laughs> That's right. So, well, you're very busy, it sounds like. We are. A lot yes. of stuff going on. Well, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Um, so uh, coming up later in the show tonight, we'll, we're going to be digging into a discussion of Star Trek Enterprise, followed by our review of the newest episode of Star Trek Prodigy. But first, we've got some news to report. A big story that came out this week, Paramount Plus announced that Prodigy would be taking a mid-season break after the fifth episode, which, Mm. of course, is next week, and will be returning on January 6th. Season one has also been expanded to 20 episodes, with the second set of 10 episodes happening later on in 2022. No date set for that yet. And in addition, the press release states that the show has already been renewed for a second season stating that it the prodigy had the highest premiere day of any kids show on the platform so far so it sounds like we have a pretty secure future for prodigy that is awesome news isn't it i'm very excited about this because you know as we've as i've said before a couple of times this is the first time that star trek has had something like this something that's comparable to star wars rebels and shows like that so i'm really excited that it's doing well and that paramount plus is investing in its continuation does that what they're saying does that represent any kind of change as in they're doing five episodes and then there's a hiatus until january does that does that oh yeah that's a big change we were expecting it to be 10 episodes with it overlapping the first half of uh discovery season four now it's going to be overlapping the second half of discovery season four so can, does that mean, I wonder, do they have 
I wonder how many shows they already have in the can. Do they have 10 shows in the can and they're just holding them now because they need to produce more shows? Is that what is, that probably means? That's, I assume they don't have 22 episodes ready to go, right? No, I don't. I doubt they do. I don't know. Though. Yeah. Interesting. I, yeah, it is. I mean, they may have, you know, the scripts recorded for right. all 20 episodes. I, I don't know. You know, what, one thing that's interesting about that is, um, in all kinds of streaming and British television and even mm-hmm. now in American television, things like Discovery, 20 odd episodes in a single season is almost becoming a rarity, yeah. even for a half hour show. So that's when you just said 22, 20. I was surprised. 20. Yeah, I was surprised. That's a lot for one season. That's great. That is. Yeah, it's really surprising um, mm-hmm. because the I mean, the other Star Trek shows that, that have been on Paramount Plus have not had that many episodes in one season. And right. it's amazing they want to do it with this one. Well, this one, you know, is a co-production with Nickelodeon. So it could be that Nickelodeon is wanting that much content. Good point. It That's, could be. Yeah. Yeah. Nickelodeon, who brought us Avatar and The Legend of Korra, which were long and complex mm-hmm. shows. So I can see that. Yeah, That's true. That's true. Yeah. I love both those shows, by the way. That's why I brought them up. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to our next story, uh, on Wednesday, November 10th, we saw the launch of the new documentary series, Star Trek The Center Seat, which airs on History Channel. Well, at least it's a 10-episode series, and at least four episodes are going to be airing on History Channel, and the other six are going to be streaming exclusively. Um So as Charles would tell us, if he were here, it sort of got off to a less than promising start. Hmm. Um, It's kind of, so have either of y'all seen it yet? No, I have not. No, I haven't. Well, it's uh, produced by uh, the same company that's done uh, the movies that made us and those different series. So you kind of know the style that this show is being done in. Um, Mm -hmm. But the first one, uh, as Charles enumerated on his Facebook profile today uh, was sort of riddled with inaccuracies and exaggerations. Um, So it's going to be interesting to see how the series goes from this point on the executive producer and the narrator is Gates McFadden, which is great. Yeah. Um, So the first episode tells the story of the uh, creation of the idea, Lucy and Desilu studios involvement in getting it, going um, and the story of the original series up to its cancellation so it covers a lot of territory and you know doesn't go as in-depth as you would want and doesn't really it it focuses on things that maybe are sort of exaggerate you know certain people's roles well was that that episode one hour or two it was no. You would think that with all that content, it would be two hours, but no, <laughs> yeah. it's like uh, fifty minutes, I think. So okay. it it, yeah. it does a lot in only fifty minutes. So um, yeah, I don't even know if I want to see it then if it got some things <laughs> wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting to watch though. I mean, it's a fun show. It's it's presented really well, um, and to the uh, you know to people who might not study this stuff as deeply as Charles does. Um, it, it's a fine show, you know, it gives a good introduction. So, you know, it take it for what it's worth, I suppose. So that's a good point because um, I noticed, for example, when you did your intro, you said you were, um, you were um, original series fan and there's so many people now who are not, who didn't start out with original series. Mm-hmm. And I think Alan, uh, we were talking the last podcast I was on, um, I was babbling something about how I knew what the word non-corporeal meant when I was like seven <laughs> because I've been right. watching Star Trek. Right. And so to your point, this may not be something that that satisfies lifelong fans like us, but people who are casual or people who are just yeah. coming in from Discovery or something, it may yeah. be great for them. Because like you said, every time I see somebody post that Lucille Ball saved Star, <laughs> was, saved Star Trek, I, yeah, I know that. Um, of course, the story is a little exaggerated. She kind of really didn't know what the show was about. Right, exactly. Um, and that's exactly his yeah. point about this first episode. Um, right. it, it really emphasizes her role in the very active role in mm-hmm. the development of Star Trek, m- maybe more act, uh, active than she actually was. Right. Um, and so I, I told him that this my impression is it's kind of like the Bohemian Rhapsody version of Queen history. 
you know, it, it tells yeah. a really good story and it's really engaging, but I don't know how accurate it, it actually is. Right. Right. I yeah. Can see that. Yeah. So, just a show for the masses, just to draw people in. Exactly. Who, who might not really be fans. Exactly. Casual fans. Yes. Right. Exactly. Uh, so one more news story and then we'll move on to this week in Trek. Uh, the next Star Trek film, um, which we know nothing about, doesn't have a name. Mm-hmm. The only thing that we know so far is that it was scheduled to be released on uh, June 9th, 2023, has now been shifted downstream a little bit to December of 2023 and most likely that is due to Disney shifting its film schedule Um, it's rearranging some of its Marvel releases and it has uh, shifted the fifth Indiana Jones movie to June 2023 so most likely Paramount is moving Star Trek to kind of move away from the Indiana Jones territory um, yeah, you're, I don't know any details about it. As a matter of fact, when I uh, something I read said they didn't even know if it was in the original series universe or in the Kelvin verse. Oh, I don't. Th- I, I, I don't know. know I don't know because there's there's a couple of different things going on. There was one that's uh, supposedly in in development with Tarantino, and that one most likely I, I think is in Kelvin. It's the Chris Pine series, but then there's another one mm-hmm. that's. Um, coming from the paramount plus angle with uh writers from the shows and that one should be along the lines of uh, the paramount plus shows interesting plus we've also we've also heard that uh, prodigy will most likely be done as a feature film at some point but that's not what we're talking about in this story hmm. so yeah there's a, all kinds of crazy stuff going on yeah just something so, else to look forward to yeah exactly so that's what i've got for the news this week Keith, I'm turning it over to you for this week in Trek. We really okay, need, uh, we need to get little jingles to introduce our new segments <laughs> I know, right? in our this week in Trek. <laughs> but take it away, sir. Yeah. So this week in Trek history, there's a there's a few things, and I'll run through them really quickly. Primarily, there's mostly birthdays this week, and one premiere I just couldn't resist doing. So uh, this week, going back, um, November seventh, nineteen ninety two, is the birthday of of Mary. Chifo? Yes. Mary Chifo. Yeah. Hey, okay. I love yeah. Chifo. Exactly. And I've seen her. I don't know if y'all have. I know you have too because you probably saw the Star Trek anniversary program and so forth. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, she seems like to play that such an intense role, she seems like such a delight in real life. She seems like she's just so funny and loving and yeah. just a great person. It was it was it was really wild. I never saw her out of makeup before I saw her as a Klingon. So yeah. the first, yeah, I never saw, I didn't know what she looked like for like mm-hmm. two months. Um, <laughs> and she's loving this too, from what I can tell, which I, which is again, just makes you love Star Trek coming back like this. Mm-hmm. I have seen her at a con and actually gotten to speak to her at a, at a um, room party. Really? And she's a lot of fun and she loves the fans too. She's, she she's does. a great person to be around. Yes. And she has fully embraced the whole Star Trek ethos. You know, awesome. she she makes little special videos like she did one of herself singing a Klingon opera version of a pop song. And all she's just <laughs> she's crazy and she's wonderful. And I love her. She's That's so great. into it. Yeah. Yeah, she is. And she's uh, one of the talking figures in the upcoming Voyager documentary, which I'm really excited to oh, see what she's going to be contributing that. to that. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Moving on, one other birthday. Um, the name Lily ring a bell from Star Trek? Yes. <laughs> November 8th, 1952 is the birthday of one Alfre Woodard, who, of course, is just an incredible, prolific actress who's done just about everything. But relevant to Star Trek fans, she played Lily, who was with Zephyrin Cochran when he finally tested the warp drive in the great Star Trek movie First Contact. I thought she did a great job in that movie. Oh, she, she was wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. And her attitude and everything, I'm just thinking now, she kind of reminds me of Raffi, but <laughs> they're, they're <laughs> no, both great parts. <laughs> that's an interesting comparison. I would not have thought of that, but you're right. Yeah. I love the line when she uh, she's telling Picard about how he's basically like um, Ahab with the white well. And then I think it didn't turn out she'd never read Moby Dick, but she, yep. <laughs> but she knew the cultural re- reference. And I, thought I mean, great. it's like, it's like Romeo and Juliet who, who has actually read that, but everybody kind of knows the references. Exactly. Right. All right. Moving on November 9th. Um, 
1937 was the birth date of, unfortunately, the late Cliff Bowl, whose name mm. probably rings a bell, the Star Trek director, producer, did so much work in Star Trek. I've been listening to the Delta Flyers podcast, which is the podcast by Garrett Wong and Robert Duncan McNeil, where they listen to and discuss every single episode of Voyager. And Cliff Bowl's name pops up all the time as mm -hmm. one of the directors on that show that they work with. And he yeah, contributed he, so much. He did a lot for that show. Yeah, exactly. And speaking of that, on the same date, but a different year, November 9th, 1964, Nick Lacano was born. <laughs> <laughs> or as in Robert Duncan McNeil. <laughs> Yay, Robbie. Yeah. Yeah, the one who's Tom Paris, but not Tom Paris. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I tell you, listen to his podcast and stuff. He, he seems like he's a great guy. And uh, we were talking about the fact that he used to live here in Atlanta until yeah. just last year. Uh, yeah. Now he's, uh, gosh, I think he's up in Vancouver. He just bought a house in Utah, but he's in Vancouver. Uh, he is such a working director. It's insane. That guy is always working. And yep. I think you've heard that the one thing he's talking about coming back to, of course, he had his little voice appearance on Lower Decks, but he and Garrett Wong are seriously working on trying to bring Captain Proton to some kind of reality. Yep. And that would be fun, I think. That will be, I predict, my favorite Star Trek series to ever exist <laughs> if, it, if it comes to fruition. Right. I am 100 <laughs> percent behind that whole idea and and get uh kate mulgrew back as bride of chaotica exactly oh yeah <laughs> it would be absolutely cool. it, i yes, think it'd be hard to talk her into doing that you know but yes. if you could get her oh my god how glorious that would be that would be fantastic two more um two birthdays two more days and two birthdays for two different people november 12 1943 and 1962 were the birthdays of Wallace Shawn oh. and Max Max Gordinchik, respectively. Oh, how nice! Two Ferengi yeah. on the same birthday. Yeah, isn't that great? Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah, that's cool. Yes, uh, Wallace Shawn is mm, sometimes his appearances on Deep Space Nine kind of I don't know. He kind of sort of annoyed me a little bit, but he's such a great character. Yeah, I loved him, and um, of course we were talking about he played the Grand Nagus. On there. And I kind of think it was it was part of his character to be annoying. So yes. you know, you're not alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But some of the things like all the hair growing out of his ears and all the other little weird stuff. But, but it, it was always fun when you'd hear him go, crack. And uh, the whole thing with him and Moogie was kind of fun. I love him as an actor. And he's done so many other things in the genre. So that was really great. And then, of course, Max Grodinchek as Rom. Just a great character. Um a lot well, of changes, yeah. And you know, at the end of the series, Rom becomes Grand Nagus. So you obviously have to be born on that day in order to take <laughs> that office. Right. <laughs> Rom with the famous Moogie, which you heard all the time in Deep Space Nine. And then the last, last one, the very next day on the November 13th, this is really wild, 1948 and 1955, the birth dates of John Delancey mm. and Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, now, isn't that interesting? Yeah, isn't that wild? Wow. Q and, <laughs> and it's funny because Q and Guinan were enemies. Uh -huh. yes. Yeah. That's <laughs> so sure funny. That is just funny. Yeah, just just great people. And it's, and it's so awesome that both of them are coming back to Trek. I'm so excited to hear about both of them coming back. Yeah. And I think it's really, really interesting that in all the stuff that we know about Picard season two and all the trailers that we've gotten so far, we have mm -hmm. seen and heard zero about what Guinan, what part she's playing in this series. So I, they, I feel like oh. they're holding her back for some big reveal, and I'm so excited about it. Good point. Good point on that. I'm looking forward to that. And that's um, the, what we got for this week in Trek. All right. So... Uh, Stick around. We have got a, a message promoting one of our fellow Earth Station One podcasts, and we will return after that with our discussion on Star Trek Enterprise. Hi, everyone. It's Nathan, host of the 42 cast. Our second season is just underway, and it's never been a better time to check in on what we're doing. Whether it's talking about the latest movies from the MCU, watching the Arrowverse shows, talking about classics such as Star Trek and Doctor Who, playing 8-bit video games, or sharing celebrity interviews, the 42Cast has something for everyone. So give it a listen, and discover why it's the ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. 
The 42 Cast is a proud member of the ESO Network. All right, welcome back. On September 26, 2001, the Star Trek franchise expanded with another television incarnation, this one a prequel to all the series that had come before it. Set in the 22nd century, it predated Kirk and Spock by roughly 100 years and intended to depict the early days of the founding of the Federation. The show ran for four seasons, totaling 98 episodes or 97 for those who refuse to count the finale as an official episode. Its first episode uh, played to nearly 13 million viewers, which was a a huge um, for this kind of uh, syndicated show was a huge jumping off point, but the ratings dropped um, throughout the season to a low of four and a half million. And sadly ratings continue to decline over the next uh, three seasons um, usually hitting between four and a half and as low as two and a half million. Wow. So um, let's talk about Star Trek Enterprise. What did you guys think about Enterprise? What's your general impressions of it? And did you watch it on original broadcast or uh, later on? And I'm, I'm pretty sure both of you saw it on original broadcast, right? Yes, I certainly did. Yeah. Uh, what, I, what I thought was, um, I, I mean, I, I watched it because... I was a huge Star Trek fan, mm-hmm. but it, it, you know, I, I really, so, so watching it the first time, I really um, thought it was not, not as good as the Star Trek shows that came before it, except, you know, until they got in the fourth season, the fourth season was actually a lot better than the first three seasons. So, but that was my opinion back then. I tell you what, they're watching it now. Like I, I just did a rewatch a few years ago and, and then I loved it. I mean, it's like, it's, it's a show that, um, that seems to hold up. You know, and when you when you go back and watch it later, it's like, well, now I'm familiar with the characters and it and and I don't have as many expectations, like knowing what's going to happen, but but then having to be like your mind refreshed about the episodes, it, it seems to be better. Knowing that the characters like well, I always liked all the characters anyway. So but the stories now for some reason they just jive a lot better. Mm. Um, what do you guys think? Keith, this was this was your topic. So Yeah. I watched it when it debuted and I loved it from the first show. Um, I don't love Broken Bow, Broken Bow, Boa Bow Bow. Uh, I don't love it for a couple of little things. I'm that guy, just so you know, I know this is your first podcast with us. Um, I sometimes will point out, you see all the laughing. I sometimes, <laughs> I sometimes am known for getting a little bit picky about the, 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 the science and the logic in universe. And so there's a couple of little things with the Klingons and the fact that they got to the Klingon homeworld in like two days and stuff that kind of irritated me. But, you know, I'm one of those people, the reason I want to talk about Enterprise and I like Enterprise, I like really well done prequels. And I also love shows that go back where maybe the technology isn't as fancy as it was in the other times. And so I love the fact that they had a ship that didn't have shields initially. And I also love the fact that they use technology because so, so many times the technology, it's it's current and then it's considered um, outdated and then it becomes current again. One of the things, for example, they had on the ship was they had um, um, polarized hull plating, which is something we've been working on in real life where you basically, you know, long story short, you send an electric, electrical current through certain materials and the molecules line up in certain ways such they become more rigid. Think Batman's cape in Batman Begins. And that gives the, the whole greater strength. That's something we're working on in real life. What I thought was so cool was before they had shields, they just had that polarized hole plating. And then you had shields for years and years. And then it was cool in Voyager, they talked about a blade of armor that they got from the Borg. So you came back full circle. And I love the way that they had to talk about Warp 5, the first Warp 5 engine. And I love seeing humanity take its first tentative steps in the deep space. And I especially love the fact that you didn't have a Federation yet. And you didn't have Vulcans and Tellarites and Andorians who not only were they not really getting along with humans, but they they were hostile to them. And I think the show did, in my opinion, a brilliant job, a brilliant job 
of showing humanity forging these relationships with the races that helped start the Federation. There were some missteps along the way. Um, I don't care for the temporal Cold War at all. And ah, it's funny. I'm one of those rare, I don't know if I'm a minority in this case. I'm one of the people who acknowledges that the fourth season is probably the best produced season, but it's my least favorite because it is so much stuff that I already knew. And what I loved about Enterprise was being introduced to races I'd never heard before, like the Zindi and going places that Kirk and them didn't go. So when they did things like introduce the Ferengi or even the Borg or the Organians, I was kind of like, yeah, man, I don't really need to see that. Um, I really want them to boldly go where even Kirk had never gone before. So I love the series for that. How about you, Alan? Oh, man, I love season four. However, I am a huge fan of season three. I thought the hmm. whole Zindi storyline was so good. Yeah. And I recently rewatched that, uh, did a lot of uh, Enterprise, but I uh, watched the, the entirety of season three and I absolutely mm -hmm. love it. Um, I had a problem with it at first when it uh, first aired because, yeah, um, you know, it's hard to do a show where you have a Denobulan as a main character when you've never heard of that race in any of the mm -hmm. subsequent shows, you mm -hmm. know, things like that. Um, and it's hard to do such a massive event like an unknown race called the Zindi right. attacking Earth, you know, and obliterating Florida and, you know, spending an entire season on trying to find who these people are and how they, you know, it's, it's hard to do that kind of storyline when that's something that has never been referenced by right. any of the series that take place later in the timeline. Mm -hmm. So, you know, doing a, a, a prequel is a tricky, tricky thing. I Absolutely. think a lot of what they did in depicting um, the formation of the relationships between the races that become the Federation was good. And I certainly enjoy uh, watching both humanity and Vulcans taking their sort of like evolutionary steps to what we think of as Federation races. You know, right. uh, humans are still getting over some uh, racism and some prejudice. And mm -hmm. in this case, it's toward outsiders. Um, and, but it's also interesting to see that Vulcans themselves are taking their own steps, you know, in the evolution of their philosophy, of their thoughts into what we think of as Vulcans in the 23rd and 24th centuries. So for that, I really, really love the, the series a lot. So uh, when you first saw the series, what were some of your thoughts about that first episode? What uh, characters did most resonated with you? And what were some of the plots that you enjoyed from that episode? I know, Keith, you didn't enjoy the temporal Cold War thing. Right. Um, but what were some things you, that you were liked about it? What impressed you about the first uh, episode and the new cast? Yeah, the first episode, I, I wasn't really <laughs> that impressed with um, thinking <laughs> about it. <laughs> I, I mean, OK, so ha having the Klingons and, and of course, having the Klingons look the way they did in TNG instead of the way they looked on the original series, uh -huh. that, that always that always makes you uh, give pause like. What, what, what you know this this is supposed to take place before kirk and his enterprise yeah so the klingons should look the way they they did on the original but of, but of course i know they they explain later about the klingons and um and of course gene roddenberry even said that well the klingons the way they looked in Star Trek the motion picture is really the way they always looked it's just they didn't have the the ability or the budget to do the makeup back then so of right. course we understand <laughs> um but the okay the the plot was really um I, it it was okay it was interesting introducing the uh, the Sulaban mm -hmm. they, they were an interesting race so it, it was good having having some of these things um, I thought that the technology you know it it does seem out of place it was one of the problems with having a prequel and it's kind of the reason I was you know I was always leery about about making a prequel and I felt the same way about Discovery mm -hmm. too yeah absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, you can't really keep it in line with what we've already seen. And we know that these people making the show, they want to show off the, the best technology they can with, with what they can do. So, so trying to make it like look like everything is more primitive than it was in Kirk's time, it, it didn't come off that way. I, I mean, in some ways it did. I like that the submarine look of the Enterprise, the oh, way I it looked. I love that. 
I yes. Love it. yes, yes, yes. And the way it was closer to to, to NASA suits, space suits. Yes. Th- that part of it looked good. Mm-hmm. And um and the characters. I, I did like Archer. I thought Archer was was a great captain. And e- even though he did had he had the Vulcan prejudice he had to get over, but yeah. so did everybody at this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. And, and see, and I have always loved the Vulcans. Mm-hmm. And as and as their as their treatment on this show, that yeah, I I kind of questioned some of the episodes with with the Vulcans on this show. Um I, I liked it better in the fourth season when they kind of they fixed the Vulcans in the fourth season, you know, so that, <laughs> that yeah, was, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. Mm-hmm. a lot better for me, but, but now the Andorians, <laughs> now I think the, the, the Andorians were always great on enterprise. Oh I, I love how they did them. Absolutely. And of course, Jeffrey Combs with Shran, you can't miss with that. You know, I'm super disappointed that in uh, discovery um, they, they dropped the uh, movable antennae. Really? Oh yeah. That was the coolest thing about the Enterprise. What was with that? About that the Enterprise great. Andorians is that the antenna were as expressive as their faces were. I know, I know. It was so cool to do that. Yeah, the, I mean, on Enterprise, the Andorians, you know, really looked good, and um, and the fact that the Andorians and the Vulcans were were old enemies that that was was an interesting uh, thing to throw in the pot yeah. too. Yeah, and, most definitely. And how the Andorians almost made the Vulcans emotional because because you could see that this inborn you could call it hatred that the Vulcans had. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So 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 those are you know some of the things they did right. They they did get some of the races um, right on Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Keith, what about you? What were some of the things that you really uh, were impressed by when you first saw Enterprise? You know what I love is the fact that my feelings about enterprise could be almost exactly the opposite of yours. And I think that's great. No, I, I think that's great because that shows what a great show does. It has something for everybody because as I said, I freely admit, and I think that season four is definitely the most slickly produced uh, season, season. It's a competent season. It has great shows, but in a lot of ways, it's my least favorite because it goes places I had been before. So for me, I like I said, I love the look of the ship. I love the fact that they were struggling with things like gravity plating instead of artificial gravity. And like I said, they didn't have um, uh, force fields or, or they didn't have shields at the time. The fact that what we call phasers were still being honed. I love everything about the technology and uh, we've talked before, but I actually list the uniforms of Enterprises among my favorite uniforms in all of Star Trek because oh, yeah. they do look real. They do look realistic. They look like something for NASA. Yeah, um, and they're I, comfortable too. Absolutely, and they have pockets <laughs> and real pockets. <laughs> and 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 some of this is just because of who I am and the times in which we live. But I actually love the fact that humans weren't as perfect. Because if you ever listen to Gene Roddenberry, the things he said, Gene Roddenberry really, on his heart of hearts, felt that we weren't just going to be better as a species by the time of Picard. He really felt that humans would have fundamentally changed. We were all of us were just better people. And we don't live in that time yet. So I love the fact, Frank, that, that Archer had prejudice. I love the fact that humans had yeah. to overcome that. To me, that was the whole point of Star Trek, is we have to acknowledge that we have racial prejudice and sexual orientation prejudice and skin color prejudice, and we got to get over it. So I love that. And for me, and Alan, I think you and I talked about the, the, this, the most controversial thing in Trek is probably the Vulcans. And I freaking <laughs> love the Vulcans. Yeah. I love Yay! it because to me, yeah, <laughs> it points out that Vulcans have emotions and they hid them. And I love the fact that in this series, they were one step away from going back to being what they used to be in the past. I love the fact that the Vulcans didn't do the mind meld. I love the fact that logic was almost about to slip away from the Vulcan race. Mm. They were... They're arrogant. They're they're lying. Uh, the the Pajem episode is mm-hmm. phenomenal. Yeah. And I tell you, so many people hate the portrayal of the Vulcans in this series. They I know. hate it. I love it. So <laughs> I I think it's a I think it's a brilliant show to show humans before they became kind of sort of perfect. And so I love it for that. And the more I watch it, the more I love it. And I really wish they could have had another season to do more. Right. And as I know you're aware, both of you, I'm sure, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, there were solid plans in place for a season five and yeah. a lot of stuff that, that, that is known about what was uh, 
either planned or potentially going to happen in season five. And that's an entire discussion on its own. Yeah. yeah they were going to have the Romulan war, yeah. which yeah. would have been cool. Yes. Yeah. And, and definitely needed. And that would have been really spectacular. So we're going to have to pick up some more enterprise discussion a little bit later down the road. Um, so stick around. We're going to take one more break. And when we come back, we're going to be reviewing this week's episode of Star Trek Prodigy. Like podcasts? Then you're gonna hate Thunder Talk. Tasteless subject matter. Mature humor. Contempt for our co-hosts. Unapologetic social views. Edgy music. And total irreverence for the nerd junk we love. Are all reasons why no one. No one. No one should listen to Thunder Talk. Find us on the ESO network. And all podcasting platforms. Or don't. Whatever. Welcome back. This week, we've got the fourth episode of Star Trek Prodigy entitled Dreamcatcher. Be warned, we're going to do spoilers in this discussion. So if you've not seen the episode yet, your mission is to go and watch the episode and report back. But if you have seen it, hold on to your butt grab handles because we <laughs> are ready to launch into this week's review discussion. So um, for my co-hosts, Dreamcatcher, what did you think of this week's episode? I loved it. I thought it was, um, well, well, it was better than the previous episode, which wasn't as interesting to me. <laughs> but uh, this one had <laughs> this one had great character development. So, so the idea that that um, that they were on a planet and and they had these illusions, and the illusions were basically what what the person wanted for for each. It was different for each person, mm -hmm. and so we we find out more about them the hostage Gwen, she, she had a vision of her father actually saying that he's proud of her. Yeah. So yeah, that, that was um, interesting for her. So we got to see more about her and it's, it's super interesting that that's the thing that she wanted the most, but when she heard it, that's what the thing was that told her that's not my father. <laughs> so yes. it's like, exactly. it's like it, it gave itself away by giving her what she wanted. Absolutely. Cause he, her, that was the, a smart move on, on the writer's part. I thought. Exactly. And he also called her by her name, which so far, I don't think we've heard him call. He's mm. always called doctor or my progeny. Mm. He called her Gwen. I forget her full name. He called her by her full name. You're right. And she said, hey, you're not my father. <laughs> <laughs> which is strange because the other people got more drawn into the illusion, but mm -hmm. she didn't. She, she saw through it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think it shows she's on edge and cynical in a lot of ways. She seems like she's kind of read ready for betrayal. I also thought it was interesting to your point, Kavira, is Dahl also relatively quickly detected there was something bogus mm -hmm. here, obviously with the parents. He's also extremely cynical because he's already he's already telling them, you know, you can't trust anybody. I thought that was interesting. Um, even though she's very, I don't know, in a way crafted kind of obviously, rock talk really gets me that little girl voice oh, in that her. body she's cute she, oh she my gosh is. and and i i hate being manipulated but she works <laughs> her voice and those blue eyes and basically she was for all purposes she just wanted little furry creatures to love her she wants somebody to love her she wants and, friends because that's yeah. something that she's never had before so when exactly. they step off the ship she's like i thought we were going to have an adventure together and they've all, it would have been interesting to see how much different this episode would have played out had they not all gone their separate way, because that's how the, that's how the planet got them. You know, it, right. it, it can show you what you want, but you're only going to fall into it if you're the only one there, because the other ones are not going to see the same thing that you're seeing. That's a good point, which is why I guess that maze came up to try to se separate them. Cause you know, every time somebody got pulled in uh, a maze would come up. Yeah, and I, I think, and I think Rock Talk. Um, she also, and I remember in the other, in the um, earlier, uh, the other episode when they realized that the food replicators could give them anything they wanted, and she literally doesn't know what she likes, and yeah. all she could do was prison food, and that, yeah. that almost broke my heart. I mean, she's she's working for me, so it, it does break your heart cool. because you realize that she, you know, she's basically the equivalent of an eight-year-old girl. She has yeah. been in this prison for eight years she doesn't know anything but a life in this you know mine this 
it's this slave lifestyle. So exactly. it's, it's interesting that she's that young, but she doesn't know anything else. And, I, you know, we don't know that she even knows who her parents are. Right. She is such a sympathetic character. Yeah. That, that's uh-huh. another thing. Yeah, that's what, what draws you to her. She's a great creation. And, and I saw it back in even in the pilot episode. You, mm-hmm. you, could, you fell in love with her then. I did. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I love the effect of Doll couldn't see his parents' face. Excuse me. I love the yeah. fact that when Doll saw his parents, but he has, he evidently has not even a, a buried memory of what they look like. That was sad, mm-hmm. too. I mean, he doesn't even know what race he is. Right. It's a complete unknown to him. That was really, really interesting. Yeah. The thing that I found really interesting uh, was that I expected, we're four episodes in now, and I kind of expected mm-hmm. that the situation between Gwen and the other kids would have been resolved fairly quickly. And she would have been, you know, they would have accepted her. She would have bought into their whole mm-hmm. thing, but they're still not, you know, in line with each other. And she's, you know, at odds with them and she's reporting their whereabouts to her father. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that it's gone this long with that wedge between them. And, and we'll see how it goes later because yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. How, how long can they keep her prisoner? And obviously not long. She keeps, she keeps escaping. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. They can't keep her prisoner for very long if she has anything to say about it. And clearly she does. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think that's I think that's really interesting because I like when uh, when Rock Talk and she had the confrontation, and when Rock Talk said, and, and y'all forgive me because I watched um, both of the I both I watched both last week's and today's episode mm. to, today because I I didn't get to watch it last week, but okay. the so I may kind of sort of blend them. But I love again with that little girl voice when Rock Talk first went to her in her cell and she basically said, "How could you do this to us?" And it was right. just so heart wrenching. And then at one point she later on goes, well, for what it's worth, I'm sorry. But, but to your point, Alan, I think, you know, she's been raised by a father who's cruel. And, mm-hmm. and her excuse when she told her that, she said, well, he told me you were criminals. And I'm thinking they're kids. I mean, good God, seriously, you got criminals and you're making them work in a labor camp. So she's yeah. got a lot of unlearning to do. And I think that's what seems to be going on here. Right. And, and I like the fact that that it's taking this long because I think yes, it's more realistic. You know, you have, right. you know, you have these two separate camps that have no, only known one thing their entire life. It takes exactly. a little time to bridge that gap. And I'm glad that they're taking the time to do that. Right. Um, the Tellerite. Um, yeah. What is it where he doesn't know what the Federation is, considering they're a founding race? He talked about a sleeper ship in the Delta. Right, Project. exactly. So what is that about? Um, it yeah. well, I think like- he's, he's separate, though, right? Well, yeah. I think he grew up um, apart from other Tellarites, is what I'm assuming, even though we don't know yet. But I think yeah. that he that's the reason he doesn't know, because he he's not from the Alpha Quadrant. We think they're all in the Delta Quadrant. and yep. And so... So he just he just doesn't know who he is. He got separated from his parents. Like all, I think that I think all of these kids except for Gwen are supposed to be um, orphans because yeah. they said yeah. that in the first episode they they kidnap orphans to put in this prison camp. Yeah, yeah. But, but it, uh, it is interesting. Oh, excuse me, Keith. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. But go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Well, you just made me think of something about how it, it's it's about parents. I mean, the so mm-hmm. you had you had the one who who whose father is the diviner. So she has a father. But these others didn't know their parents. And so it's mm-hmm. interesting to see how they interact in that way. And, and the fact that Dahl, you know, we saw like he wanted parents he, because he never knew one. But then you have Gwen, who, who did know her father and wants to be loved by him. But you see the how, how the characters turned out different because of having parents or having parents who who treat them a certain way, not in a loving way. Right. It's an interesting dynamic there. It really um, is. That resonates with me because in uh, my real life, I'm adopted. And I know about my birth family. My circumstances are very he, unique. I feel but, like every week we do this show, I'll learn a new thing about you. <laughs> it's amazing. Really? Not kidding. It? I mean, it's fascinating. <laughs> I'm, I am so glad yeah. I know you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm adopted I, too, by the way, but that's, you, that is interesting. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And I've always known, uh, I have a really unique situation, but I was adopted within my family. And I grew mm. up, I grew up five miles from my birth mother. I knew her and I know her. Uh, but, um, and, and y'all forgive me, I'm getting a little personal here. I am in my late fifties and 
two months ago for the first time in my entire life, I saw pictures of my birth father. I'd never oh, seen a wow. picture of And my younger brother sent it to me. And I just be honest, I started bawling. Mm. And I am probably the most well-adjusted adopted person you will ever meet. I don't <laughs> know what I was told. I, I have no memory of being told. I grew up knowing I was adopted. And I am incredibly well-adjusted. But when I saw a picture of my birth father, I lost it. Wow. And so when you see them, like that thing with Doll, where he couldn't even see his parents' face faces, that really got me. Wow. And, and Kavira, when you just said, you just summed up what I said, and I didn't realize I was saying it, which was this show was all about parents. Mm. And, you know, not having people who love you, not knowing who your parents are, or sometimes having the wrong parents. Because I will tell you, me being adopted was in a lot of ways a good thing. I was one step away from the orphanage. And um, I was very blessed. And I fought with my parents like everybody does. And my mom pissed me off for years, but I was so blessed. So I think it's really interesting what you're saying about this is a show about, you know, parents and family and how you need that. And whether the family is biological or one that you craft, such as the crew of the starship, it's very important to have a family. Wow. I think it's going to be really interesting to see uh, when and if, uh, there's sort of a transition in the relationship with Janeway when she is no longer just a crew mm -hmm. trainer and she sort of takes on a parent role, Good you know, point. where these kids start to see her as a, a, their, their parent. I think that's going to be a really interesting sort of emotional journey that these kids can go on. Yeah. And it also answers the question that we had a couple of three weeks ago, which is, where does Janeway, this hologram, become more like the doctor in Voyager? Right, Be right. Because every now and then, you know, because I'm assuming, because I mean, I, like I'm becoming to, sentient or something. Yeah, because even for me, because so many times I ask the question, why isn't she more suspicious of these cadets? They don't look like cadets. They know mm -hmm. they don't they don't know what a cadet should know. But then I can I can write that off as well. Maybe that's for programming. Um, yeah. And at some point in time, she's going to have to become sentient. Go, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, you guys don't even know how to turn the phasers on. I don't know. I don't think you're really cadets. And then you even wonder, there's got to be some secret mission, some records of what the protostar. She hasn't even like said, why are we here? Yeah. And where is the adult crew that had to have been shepherding the, right. the cadets? Right. So what you're saying, Alan, I agree with. I want to see that development in her. Maybe she has a hidden file that's going to be accessed one day and all of a sudden stuff will come out. Yeah, maybe. Speaking <laughs> of phasers, two things. One, I love. Jankum Pog shooting himself by accident. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah. But from a merchandising point of view, I want these new tricorders and these new phasers. Holy oh, cow. Awesome. They look so good. Yes. Well, when they were holding the phaser up, when, when you're looking at the screen, it looks just like a smartphone, doesn't it? It's, it's mm. just from the for, from a distance from the back of it. It didn't look like that. But when they yeah. were looking at the screen, I just thought smartphone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I, I want toys of these things. And Kavir, what you're saying there and what you're saying, Alan, I agree with, because one thing I've noticed about this and all the new shows, I don't think I've ever seen this much detail on consoles and oh, yeah. equipment and gadgets. Because if you look at the phasers and the consoles, everything is labeled. With what, you know, we go from the original series, which I, we all grew up seeing, which had colored buttons. Yeah. Where they punch me. Like, I don't even know what that button does. There's a blue button. There's a red button. There's a yellow button. <laughs> and now this stuff, you're right, uh, Alan, that phaser and the tricorders, they were so detailed. And I, I would freeze it and literally just look at it. And like, you see things, they have things like phaser and engines mm. and this and that. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. Nice. And um, also, I think it's in keeping because I think the Protostar is an absolutely beautiful ship. I love the look of that ship. Oh, my gosh. I love it. So let's talk about the ship really quickly. Um, we are taking the entire ship into mm -hmm. an atmosphere and landing on a planet rather than beaming down or secondarily taking a shuttlecraft, which I thought was a really interesting. Now, of course, that's something that we saw on occasion with Voyager. Voyager yeah. had the capability to uh, planet land and then take off. Um, but and, and what's interesting to me is that both of those ships land in a way that does not look practical at all. You know, Voyager was such a front heavy ship and it had those four teeny tiny little legs yeah, that would never hold up that <laughs> stupid ship. And this one basically looks like it's landing on a, an ice skating blade and yeah. and it just sort of stays upright. So 
I agree. But, I, but I it was that. it was a hard landing, though. Oh, go it ahead, Keith. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was indeed. <laughs> but the but the okay, but the 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 ship coming into the atmosphere and coming over the landscape of the planet was so beautifully done. Was. Wow. But I kind of think that the reason they landed was because the kids didn't know that they could beam down. That that's the way I saw it, really. Yeah, but it, wouldn't that be yeah. something that Janeway would teach them? It, it seems like it, yeah. But yeah. you don't know how, like exactly how far her programming goes. Yeah, yeah. You know I just what? thought it was now an that, interesting way to do it, but I loved now, it. Now that I'm thinking about it, wasn't one of the things from Voyager that transporter technology didn't exist in the Delta Quadrant? There was there was a key technology that did not exist in the Delta Quadrant, and it wasn't replicators. I mm-hmm. I want to say it was transporters. I don't remember that, but we are on a Federation ship. Yeah. So, so it should be equipped. Yeah. What I mean is maybe they didn't know to ask, but it goes back to they didn't know to ask about transporters because maybe the transporters are not a technology they're familiar with in the Delta Quadrant. Right. But again, Janeway should have said something like such as, hey, you don't need to take this whole ship down. Why don't you just transport down? Either way, Janeway is going to have to teach them how to do the thing that they need to do. And you would think that her lesson would be, here's how to go into orbit. Here's how to establish a geosynchronous orbit. Here's how you activate the transporters, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and and that's the only little thing where that's why I'm wondering. I need a, I'm slightly questioning some of it because as you're saying, Cadets or not, if your program is to, to, to teach them and you, you're saying that they're all about to crash the ship, you think she'd take a little firmer hand and say, look, guys, I don't know what's going on here. I don't even know if you're cadets, but look, you're going to crash the ship. And so many times she's just saying, well, give me a yell. Something's coming through. Many times she's sorry. She's just saying, OK, well, you're the captain. And yeah, I'm like, uh, you need to take a little firmer hand because a couple of mistakes they're going to make. Yeah, they're going to destroy the ship, such as when they were they were being pulled to the binary stars, and she let him turn uh, divert all power, such that even the shields <laughs> went down. Right, and then right. He he jettisoned everything because he for some crazy reason thought that would make the ship lighter. So he jettisoned the escape pods and all kinds of crates that probably had food in them. So I agree with you. I'm kind of thinking, Jane, well, you need to take a little firmer hand here. Otherwise, they're going to destroy that ship. <laughs> There's got to be some fail safe in her program where she will yes. let cadets go to a certain point right. and make mistakes and learn from them. But they can't go past a certain point where exactly. there has to be a point where her programming says, nope, I'm in control now because you are about to kill us all. Exactly. Especially on a ship that seems to have a third engine or something that may is like maybe top secret. Right. And that was cool too. Yeah. Uh, but but mm-hmm. remember the last episode where um, Janeway yeah. wanted to plot them a course and Doc right. said, no, we're not doing that. Right. So, so they kind of want to like, he doesn't always want to follow her anyway. Yeah. And you can kind of see that. I think the writers want, want these kids to be a little more rebellious. Of course, they don't want to be like just, following Janeway brainlessly. No. So, so it is interesting how I they're doing every it. now and then when I see little plot things like that, and this is not a negative or a bad, for example, when she did say she let him plot the course and then she comes out and she kind of nonchalantly drinks her holographic coffee and says, well, this is the course you plot. I'm thinking <laughs> you could have come online before they got trapped into the gravity well, a freaking white dwarf. <laughs> I think little things like that remind me that this is a show written for younger people. And you know, and I think sometimes well, they true. just kind of want to have the excitement and the adventure. And because if this was written, I think more yeah. for adults on an adult level, little things like that, they they probably obsess a little bit more over that than for kids. Mm-hmm. That's that's a good point. But it's great even showing that Janeway had the coffee. <laughs> I mean, because it, you know. Oh yeah. I mean, the show might be for new people who haven't seen Star Trek before, but for those of us who are familiar with yes. it, we love little things like that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, any last things that we can think of about this episode that we haven't talked about yet. One thing is the ending on a cliffhanger. I didn't expect that. That was surprising. It was. And I'm kind of excited about that. It means that this episode is telling a bigger story Mm -hmm. than we thought it was Mm -hmm. going to be when we went into it. Loving it. I am extremely curious and completely uncertain how this crew is going to gel. And if they're really going to head toward the alpha quadrant, 
And I think the thing that the mystery that is just consuming me is what is an advanced Federation vessel doing in the Delta Quadrant and the crew is is or isn't, you know, yep. was there and dead. I absolutely don't understand the secret. And then I was thinking, and daddy's starship base looks pretty sophisticated. What does that Federation vessel have that he mm -hmm. absolutely needs that his own technology doesn't have for him? Right, right. A lot of his motivations seemed to change in my head when I saw his entire <laughs> complex lift yes. off of that planet. And I mean, I'm like, if you can do that, why do you need this stupid little starship? But it's got to have something with to, it's got to have something to do with that yeah. extra drive, because you can see in the mm -hmm. in the title sequence that something kicks in and the way that the ship performs changes and the nacelles yes. fold downward instead of upwards. And it's all this, you know, so there's something yeah. about the propulsion yeah. of this ship. That's uh, kind of the prize. It looks like. I I'm kind of thinking it's um, being able to travel so far. Yeah. That ship could have come fr from the alpha quadrant to, to the Delta quadrant. And, and maybe the, you know, their technology that the diviner has, can, he cannot travel that far. So that could be what he wants from the ship. I agree with that. I think that that's how, this ship ended up in the Delta. I think that it, they lost control of it maybe in a test flight or something. And it went further and faster than they expected it to. And now they're trying to figure out where it went, which is where we're going to get the Starfleet crew. That's going to come in at some point yeah, this season. That's yeah. what they're going to, that's my prediction. They're there to find that ship as just as the diviner is good stuff. Yeah. That makes sense. I'm thinking about the episode from the um, TNG, the nth degree when uh, Barkley got his intelligence mm -hmm. enhanced and yeah. they did something which, you know, one of those that frustrated me never came back. They literally took the warp drives and basically created a <laughs> wormhole connection between two really far distant points in the galaxy. And they jumped almost all to the center of the galaxy yeah. in just a couple of minutes. So I'm wondering if you're right, if it did something like that, maybe it folded its face and connect the Delta Quadrant to the Alpha Quadrant and jumped at once. And maybe that would explain why there's no crew. Uh, maybe Barkley was working on it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. How much fun would it be if we find out sometime during this season that good old Mr. Barkley is one of the ones that's working on yes. this experimental drive? Because I <laughs> would love to see him. Yeah. Oh, that would be amazing. Because, you know, after having lost a ship accidentally in the Delta Quadrant and it potentially taking them 70 years to get home. Mm -hmm. This is an area, this is a new area of space that they're going to want to revisit and they're going to want to find a way that if something like this happens again, yes. they can get to these people and rescue them yes. and start doing, you know, regular missions into this mm -hmm. new territory. And so I'm sure that's what's behind the whole design of uh, 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 yes. Star. That's <laughs> it. I was like, Prometheus, no. Prodigy, no. And last thing, did y'all notice that, they, that that planet was in the Herosian system? <laughs> yeah, I thought yes. that was interesting. Yes, but we didn't oh, get to see boy, the corrosion in this back. episode. I love the oh, I would too. I love them. All right. Uh, thank you both so much for your input on our uh, topics tonight. Um, Kavura, where can folks find more of you on the internet? Okay. Um, our podcast is on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel, StarPod Log and StarPod Trek. We're also on Blogspot, which is uh, blogspot.starpodlog.com and we're on Facebook under Starpodlog and Starpod Trek, the Facebook group and you can also friend us under Nayar and Nayar is my husband, my partner so it is N-A-Y-R-A-N-D and then K-A-V-U-R-A that's our name under on Facebook so friend us on Facebook and join our group. Absolutely. Keith, where can folks track you down? Uh, typical places. I am on Twitter, although I don't use it very much. In Instagram and most primarily on Facebook, especially the ESO Network Facebook groups. And folks can find me at CosmicPress.com, K-O-Z-M-I-C-Press.com. And since Chuck and Veronica are not here, I will say that you can find them at FeltNerdy.com. That's it. All right, so next week is a big week. Uh, we have the mid-season finale of Prodigy and the season four premiere of Discovery. So next Thursday, 
We have a big bunch of topics to talk about. So I hope everyone listening will join us again next week. If you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. And you can also find us on our Facebook group. Look for us there. Drop us a message. Give us some feedback about this episode or any other episodes that you've recently listened to. Thanks so much, everyone. Have a fantastic week, and we will see you around the galaxy next time. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.